The second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read the whole chapter. And that's on page 1051 in your pew Bibles. Brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, because you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you're still not ready, because you're still fleshly. For since there is envy and strife among you, you are not fleshly and living like unbelievers. For whenever someone says, I'm with Paul, and another, I'm with Apollos, are you not unspiritual people? What then is Apollos? And what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed, and each has the role the Lord has given. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now the one planting and the one watering are one in purpose, and each will receive his reward according to his own labour. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to God's grace that was given to me, I have laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it. For no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay or straw, each one's work will become obvious, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost. But he will be saved, yet it will be like an escape through fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary? And that the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. No one should deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he can become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. Since it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows that the reasonings of the wise are meaningless. So no one should boast in human leaders, for everything is yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come. Everything is yours, and you belong to Christ, and Christ belongs to God. This is the word of the Lord. Father God, we pray that as we sit under your word this morning, uh, you would teach us, that you would correct us, that you would challenge us, rebuke us, encourage us. Uh, Father, I pray that you would leave us uh, grappling with the truths and send us from this place uh, desiring just to be changed by your spirit. So do a a mighty work in this place this morning. In Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk to you about uh, spiritual maturity or or Christian maturity. Do you ever meet uh, that man or woman, the Christian man or woman, you think, I just want want to get to know you better. You know, they, sort of, they, they ooze godliness. Uh, their, their Bible knowledge is, is amazing. Uh, the decisions they make, the choices they make, they're, they're kingdom-minded. And as you spend time with them, you're thinking, wow, you are so mature as a, as a Christian. And then you meet them sort of two years later, and they're even more mature. They've grown more and more and more. And you think, I want to be like that. Because when you meet the godly Christian man or the godly Christian woman who is growing in their faith, you think, that's what I want to be like. I want to hang around them. I want to learn from them. But then the opposite is true, isn't it? 
Do you ever meet these Christians and they claim to have been Christians for years and years and years, but the decisions they make are worldly and uh, what comes out of their mouth is worldly and they don't seem to be growing at all in their faith. And they talk, I've been a Christian for 20 years or for 30 years, and you're thinking, really? You'd never know that. Or sometimes you meet these Christians, you just want to say, grow up. You're not a baby anymore. Uh, Christian maturity is really hard to evaluate, isn't it? It, It's often when you haven't seen someone for a while that you notice whether they've grown in their faith or whether they've gone backwards. You know, you meet someone two years later and you're thinking, wow, you've grown so much. Like, you're, you're different. You're more godly. You, your Bible knowledge is amazing. And you meet these other Christians, you're thinking, well, what's happened? In the last two years since I've met you, what's happened? You, you become more worldly. Your decisions are more worldly. You see, as Christians, as people who love Jesus, we are called to keep on growing in our faith, aren't we? We're called to grow up, to mature. The Bible describes your Christian life a bit like your human life. You start off as a baby. And when you're a baby, you're helpless and someone feeds you. You start off on the milk and then you go to the mush and then you go to the the solids and then you go to uh, sandwiches and you go to the steaks. And you keep on growing and growing and growing. And that's your Christian life, isn't it? When you first became a Christian and you knew very little... And you sat in church and you heard these sermons and most of it went over your head, but you just grasped onto the basic stuff. And after a while, you went onto the, the mush and then to the, the solids and then to the sandwiches. And after years and years as a Christian, you're into the deep theological stuff, the, the meat and the steaks. But we're called to keep on growing. And I have to say, I do meet some Christians. I want to say, grow up. Why are you so immature? That's the situation that Paul found himself in Corinth. Look at chapter 3, verse 1. He's basically saying, grow up. For goodness sake, grow up. He says, verse 1, brothers. So he calls them brothers because they are Christians. He says, brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babies in Christ. He says, you are in Christ, so you've understood the cross, you've accepted Jesus, you are converted. He says, you are spiritual, verse 1, but I can't speak to you as though you are spiritual, because you're more like the world. You're more like the flesh. And he gives them that label in verse 1, you're babies, you're immature, you're infants, you're kindergarten Christians. You still need your afternoon nap. He says in verse 2, I gave you milk because... You were not ready for solid food yet. And the problem was in Corinth, they thought that they were mature. They thought that they were these really mature Christians. They thought they knew it all. But Paul comes into their church and says, actually, actually, you're still in kindergarten. How do you tell that? Verse 3. Because they're still fleshly. They're still worldly. There's envy and there's strife among you. And they're living like unbelievers. I reckon Paul walked into Corinth and he'd find jealousy, fighting and factions. And 
This group would say, I follow Paul, and I follow Apollos, and I'm an adult Baptist, and I'm a pedo-Baptist, and I like contemporary music, and I like organ music, and I like podcasting Keller, and I like podcasting Piper. And Paul would say, stop it! Grow up! Who do you think you are? And this type of church where when they don't get what they want and when church isn't exactly how they like it, are like little three-year-olds who have a ten- temper tantrum and stamp their feet and say, I'm leaving this church. And Paul would say, you call yourself Christians, but you are so immature. You ever met those Christians? Are you one of those Christians? Need to keep on growing. Keep on maturity. Let me, let me ask you, if you've been a Christian here for, let's say, 10 years, 10 years or more, would you say that you're more mature today than you were five years ago? If you've been a Christian for five years, were you, are you more mature today than you were two years ago? If, you, if you're a brand new Christian here today, are you eager, wanting to grow and grow and grow? And if you're not yet a Christian here today, Do you really want to know what it really means to be in Christ, to be forgiven and reconciled to God? Church, I'm here this morning to say we've got to keep on growing. You individually and us as a church, keep on maturing, keep on growing in Christ. Paul uses three uh, images for church that helps us to understand what it means to be a mature Christian. Uh, Our first point this morning is this, a sign of maturity is that you've got a, a correct attitude to your leaders in the church. A correct attitude to the leaders in God's church. And the first picture is down in verse 9. Do you see it? He says, we are God's co-workers. And you, Corinthians, you, Kirribilli, are God's field. He uses the picture of God's church as like a, a field. And in a field, you've got, you've got to grow some crops. So you prepare the soil. You plant the seeds. You you water the seeds, you fertilize it, you irrigate it, you prune it. You, I'm reading this, I'm not, I'm not a gardener, so I, I don't know these terminologies. But, but, you know, to actually grow stuff, there's lots of work to do. And that's a bit like the church, you know, that there are seeds that are planted and they start to grow. And they, they, they grow slowly or they grow quickly, but they must grow. And in this particular field, verse 6, is in Corinth. And verse 6, Paul planted the seeds. So Paul came and he founded the church because he preached the gospel to them. But after Paul came, Apollos came and he watered the seeds. He, he cultivated it, he pruned it, he taught the scriptures, he discipled people, he pastored that church, and the church grew. So Paul planted, Apollos watered the, 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 the seeds. But look at the, verse 6, I love this phrase. But God gave the growth. Such a simple statement. Read it again. God gave the growth. God grew his church. God grew his believers. Only God grew it. It's such an important point because, you know, you can plant loads and loads of seeds and some will grow and some will not grow and that's all down to God. You can water as many seeds as you can. You can disciple people, but some will grow and some will not grow. And that's down to God, not down to people. And if you grasp this, that only God brings growth to his church. It belongs to him. He grows it. He matures it. It will change the way you view your leaders. 
If I was to say to you, how do you view your leaders at church, your teachers, your pastors, your preachers? How do you view them? What do you call them? Do you see them as verse 4, verse 5 rather? They're servants. Servants of God, servants of the gospel, slaves of Christ. They're not your, your spiritual gurus, but your servants through whom you believed. And each has a role that the Lord gave them. And what Paul is saying is that, is that Paul didn't lord it over people and rule over people. He wasn't into sort of this, this uh, cult following where I follow Paul and I follow Paul. He's saying, I'm just a servant. I'm just a human being, a, a fleshly man who's been saved by Jesus. I'm here to serve you. I'm here to teach, here to preach, here to pastor and enabling God to do his growing. Is that how you see your leaders? It's such a paradigm shift, isn't it? It's a paradigm shift of the cross. You see, human leadership is about, about power. But, but Christian leadership is, is humble. And human leadership is about making a name for yourself. But, but servant leadership is about pointing people to Christ. And human leadership is about gathering your group of followers who aspire to be like you. But servant leadership is gathering people around you who want to be like Jesus. Look at verse 5. They are servants through whom you believe. Not in whom you believe, but through whom. Paul was just a channel to point people to Christ. And that's got to be a mark of servant leadership. Always directing people away from self and on to Christ. And each leader has a different role to play, verse 5. Each has the role the Lord has given. Paul planted, Apollos watered. But God gave the growth. Verse 7, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything. We're just servants. It's only God who gives the growth. The, the one planting and the one watering are one in purpose, are common purpose to grow God's kingdom. And each will receive his own reward. And I love that, that Paul and Apollos and Timothy and Titus and Peter, they're not in competition. They've got a single goal to grow God's kingdom. See, all your leaders have got different gifts, haven't they? Some are gifted in teaching, some are gifted in preaching, some are gifted in administration, some are gifted in hospitality, some are gifted in one-to-one work or the small group work, but we're all working together, aren't we? And I do hope at Church by the Bridge, you're not one of these kind of like, oh, I follow Paul Dale, or I follow Andy Pierce, or I follow Dan Webster, or I follow LT Hopper, you haven't met yet. And I, I follow Carly Collins, or I follow Sarah Condy, or, you know, we're not these people followers. Instead, your attitude to your leaders is, I'm so thankful for that man or for that woman because they're servants of Christ and they point me to Jesus. And they help me to grow and they help me to mature. So please, please, please stop people worshipping. Uh, maybe we're not like that here in terms of our pastors at church, but I do think we can slip into it in terms of our, our wider church family. Now, let me be really honest. Now, I'm fed up of people sort of name-dropping all the famous preachers and pastors that they're following. Now, I, I podcast Keller. I, I listen to Tim Keller. So he's this amazing spiritual guru, guru and no one else has got, got the truth. I'm a Piper man, or 
I'm a William Taylor man or any podcast, this person or that person. It's good to have people who help you in your faith. Of course it is good to be grateful for these, these men or these women who have helped you to grow in your faith. It's good to have that. And it's good to show your gratitude and voice your gratitude. But please don't worship them. Now give them the praise or give God the praise that they've helped you to grow in your faith. That's a sign that you're a mature Christian is that you don't people worship. Why do we do that? Why do we align ourselves with a certain human leader? I wonder whether it's because deep down it makes us feel a bit secure. We feel part of the in crowd because we can talk about them and we can quote them and we feel accepted. Now that's dangerous because you accept us in Christ, isn't it? Not in that human, human leader. So I reckon you can spot the immature Christian here at church by the bridge because they talk about you know, my church or my people or my high people. Paul said this or Andy said this or Dan said this. I say, what did God say? This is God's church. And what is God doing to grow you? And a word for leaders here at Church by Bridge, if you are in any teaching role here, either preaching or teaching at kids' church or teaching in our high groups, any kind of teaching role, please, please, please be humble. Please grow your humility. Please don't present yourself as the having all the answers. Please don't gather this group of cult followers around you. Humbly recognize that you're just a servant of Christ with the privilege of teaching others to point them to Jesus. I think it was Charles Simeon who used to walk into the pulpit every single Sunday and just pray, Lord, Lord, help them to see Jesus, not me. Help them to see Jesus, not me. It's the first sign of maturity. You've got a right attitude to your leaders. We're just servants to help you to grow in Christ. There's a shift in metaphor down in verse 9. Look at it with me. It says, you are God's field and God's building. And he shifts from agriculture to construction. Now, if I'm not a gardener, I'm certainly not a builder. I got married when I was 40, and all I possessed was one hammer and one screwdriver. That's all I know about. Rach, had the, you had the drill or the sand or whatever it was. I know nothing about building. But Paul shifts metaphors from the agriculture to the construction site. He says, church is God's building, verse 9. And according to God's grace given to me, verse 10, I've laid a foundation. So Paul came in and he started the building. He founded the church as a skilled master builder. And another one builds on it. But each one must be very careful how he builds it. For no one can lay any other foundation then what has been laid down? That foundation is Jesus Christ. In the culture that Paul lived in, it, it took many, many, many years to build a home. You know, you can put a, a McDonald's building overnight today. You know, you can, you can order your house online and just have a flat pack house and they build it. In those days, it would take years and years and years and years and generations. Here's a couple of pictures of cathedrals. St. Andrew's Cathedral. Do you want to take the background off there, Andrew? 
started, started in 1837, finished in 1868, so 30 years to build that. The Milan Cathedral started in 
it'll be like an escape through fire. The person who themselves is a believer, they will be saved, but all their so-called work, it will be lost. Because it was fruitless, it was pointless. They were not making converts of Christ. Now think about what Paul is saying. He is saying churches built on the wrong materials will not last. Churches that do not keep preaching Christ crucified will not last. You yourselves, if you started with Christ but you've shifted beyond Christ, you're now uh, feeding yourself with stuff which is not scriptural, that's not biblical, you're in danger. So here's a church checklist. Is the foundation of church by the bridge Jesus Christ and him alone? Do we make sure that every person in this church understands Jesus Christ and the cross and the resurrection and the return? Are we building everything on him? Is he the head of this church? And what materials are we building with? Are we more concerned about having an entertainment church where people leave feeling they've been entertained? Rather than people actually have met Jesus and grown in Jesus. Are we more concerned about running a health clinic church where people come with their problems and leave with their problems solved, but they haven't actually met Jesus? Are we more concerned with having an intellectual church where people can get out their iPads and they can grapple with Greek and Hebrew and the deep theological truth, but they don't actually know Jesus? I hope that's not church by the bridge. I hope that you as part of this church, want to keep on growing in Christ and, and serving and, and teaching others with, with material that will last. So church members, can we stop playing church? Can you make sure that our focus is on eternity and, and, and having converts and people who are growing in their faith so on that last day they'll be there? Do you think God is really impressed by how many people are here? What he's concerned about is whether they're saved people who know Jesus. So we've had the field, we've had the building, and finally you've got the temple. So a sign that you're a mature Christian is you understand the conviction about being God's church. Uh, look at verse 16. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary or God's temple? And the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him, for God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. It's important here that he's not talking about you individually. The, that will come in chapter 6, where the individual body is a body, a temple for the Holy Spirit. The you here is plural. You, the gathering of Christians, you, the believers, you are God's sanctuary, God's temple. As you gather, as we church, God is dwelling here. And the, the picture of the Old Testament sanctuary was a place where people met with God, where uh, a place of God's holy presence, where people saw the, the awe of God and the glory of God, and, and they left us forgiven and cleansed. And even the pagans saw that. Wow, that's the place where God dwells and people are forgiven and they're cleansed and they see how glorious and holy and awesome God is. And he takes that Old Testament image of a sanctuary or a temple and he looks at the church and says, you are that. You are God's sanctuary. You gathered are the temple of God. 
But, verse 17, your fighting and your factions and your people idolizing is destroying it. Because the watching world looks at your church and they don't really think that God is there. Because it's so worldly. Have you grasped that? That we, Church by the Bridge, are God's sanctuary as we gather. It's not like the Old Testament temple where you come unforgiven and you leave forgiven. You, you, you come forgiven because of Christ. You leave forgiven because of Christ. But something happens as we dwell together, as we gather to meet with our God and worship him and revere him and honor him. We are the sanctuary. See, if you start to think like that, then you stop thinking it's all about me. The church is not about me where I come and I sit and I listen. You're part of something bigger. And if you think about it like this, then we have got this amazing privilege of witnessing to our community and to our world. This is what God is like. We are the people of God. We are the display of his grace to the watching world. Let's think about it. Why would people choose to come to church by the bridge to be entertained? There's much better entertainment out there, isn't there? Just flick on Netflix. Why would people come to church by the bridge for counselling? There is much better counselling out there. Why would people come to church by the bridge for light and fluffy programmes where they can go to the neighbour centre next door? What makes this place different and this place attractive to the watching world? It's not our programs. It's not our counseling. It's not entertaining. It is Jesus Christ. When they see people who have been changed by Christ and there's something about this place that is so attractive. And if you grasp that, then you see the problem when by our behavior, we don't make Christ attractive. When our fighting and our factions and our quarreling and our worldliness and our temper tantrums and our petty three-year-old spats people go i don't want a part of that and that is tragic because we're supposed to be the living walking talking advertisement for the grace of god aren't we so church by the business let me ask you again are you a mature christian are you growing in your faith? Will people look at you and say, oh, you've grown so much over the past year. How do you know that? Well, you understand church. Your leaders are just servants. We're just a building being built on Christ. But there's something special that happens as we gather and the world should see that. Let me pray. Actually, we're going to have a time of open prayer where you can pray about anything you've heard this morning. Pray for this church. Pray for leaders. Pray for growth. Pray for Christianity Explore that's happening. Pray for new Christians to grow. Pray for our community. I'll, I'll kick us off. And then over to you guys. Stand where you are. And with a loud voice, lead us in prayer. And then I'll hand over to Liz, who will lead us for our last couple of songs. Uh, Father God, we thank you for Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for his humility, his obedience, his sacrifice. Thank you that he is the foundation stone and he is the head of this church. Lord, we do pray that he would be honored and he would be glorified. 
and that everybody who walks into this building sees Jesus. And we ask that for his name's sake. Amen.